0: Hello, this is Fight Back, a podcast by the Healthcare Consumer Rights Foundation. I'm Jamie Rosales, health advocate and new executive director of the foundation. Our nonprofit's mission is to help you navigate the complex healthcare system and understand your legal rights, options, and opportunities when you encounter problems and obstacles. We want to empower you with the information you need to fight back and get the best possible care. Today on Fight Back, we discuss the latest rising drug crisis surrounding illicit fentanyl with California Assemblyman Joe Patterson and community advocate Laura Didier, who lost her son to illicit fentanyl. With fentanyl deaths surging by 279% since 2016, public health and community leaders are looking for solutions. Join us as we learn about the crisis what leaders are doing to try and solve the problem in California, and what resources could be available in your community. Let's get started. Thanks for tuning in to the Fight Back podcast. This is Jamie Rosales, Health Advocate and Executive Director of the Healthcare Consumer Rights Foundation. Remember, you can find all our podcasts on our website at healthcareconsumerrights.org. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider a gift to help us keep Fight Back available. Your gift can be made at healthcareconsumerrights.org. Enjoy the podcast. Assemblyman Joe Patterson and Laura Didier, welcome to the Fight Back podcast. Thank you for for having having me. Thanks for being a part of our conversation today. Uh, Laura, we're going to kick it off with you. You and your family were personally impacted by fentanyl. Can you share with us a little bit about your story? Certainly. Um, This was
1: something that really blindsided our family. I lost my youngest child um, of three kids, my son, Zach, at the age of 17, Uh, He was a high school senior. We're in a suburb of Sacramento uh, called Rockland, and we just did not see this coming for Zach. He was on a tremendous path. He he loved school, so he had straight A's. Uh, He was working to finish his Eagle rank in scouting. He loved athletics, so he ran on the track team. He did the hurdle events and um, the high jump. And he played soccer for many, many seasons. He loved music, so he taught himself how to play piano. and And he was he starred in the school musical at his high school. So he was just doing great. Never had any um, problems around substances. Nor did my other two kids, who were um, in college when their baby brother died. But this happened in twenty twenty. So of course it was a very different time. We were dealing with the COVID lockdowns and it was Zach's senior year of high school. So he certainly had the typical frustration and, um, you know, around not having a typical senior year, something, mm-hmm. everything looks forward to, you know, their whole life. So he, um, what ended up happening was two days after Christmas of 2020, he was with his dad and his and his two older siblings and when it was lunchtime and nobody had seen Zach yet uh, his dad Chris decided to check check on him and Zach did not answer the knock at the door at his bedroom door when Chris came in he found him uh, appearing to be asleep at his desk and we had just had a wonderful you know holiday so it didn't make any sense It, it seemed like he was sleeping but he wasn't waking up and when Chris went to to touch him, he could tell something was horribly wrong. Um, Zach was cold and unresponsive, not breathing. Mm-hmm. He tried CPR. He screamed for my then 22-year-old son, Sam, to call 911. And my daughter was 25 at the time. She was downstairs, and she let the first responders in. They tried to revive Zach, but um, it, was, it was too late to bring him back, so my daughter had to call me and and tell me that her baby brother was was dead and I needed to get over immediately um when I did they already had everybody out of the house they were starting an investigation because Zach didn't have any health problems you know mental or physical he was not struggling struggling with substance use disorder of any kind he was a typical healthy happy teenager um it did take a, a few weeks, about six, probably weeks, to get the confirmation of fentanyl as the cause of death. But in that uh, interim time, we were able to get his phone open to find out what had happened in those last uh, fateful two days of his life. He, Someone that was uh, operating on Snapchat was selling these counterfeit uh, pills that are made of fentanyl, but they are pressed and stamped to look like real pharmaceutical medicines. So, um, Zach got a hold of, of what was being sold, um, to him as a Percocet pill. And, um, that, that pill took his life very quickly. Once it entered his system, he didn't stand a chance against it. Um, and, and that's how I was thrust into this space. It was, Not anything I'd heard of. I had not heard of fentanyl or counterfeit pills. I thought I'd had every drug conversation with my kids that I needed to have, you know, around the other types of substances I I thought they could maybe encounter in their life. But this one I didn't know about. And so when we had to share with Zach's friends what had happened to him, and it was clear none of them understood what was going on with this crisis, with this new wave of this crisis... I just wanted to be a part of the of the solution, excuse me, and and just warning kids and sharing Zach's story as as just this cautionary tale of how quickly um, something can turn tragic. Now that fentanyl's in the mix,
0: Laura, we are just so sorry for your loss, and thank you so much for being so transparent with Zach's story uh, and and your hope to really help other families and other other youth that are out there. Thank you. Joe, let's turn to you. You're a newly elected member of the California legislature. You've been in your job for several months now, uh, but you've really taken up the mantle of this issue and you've become very passionate about this issue. I think nearly every time I see something or see your name in the press, it's related to something that's going on with fentanyl. Can you tell us why this issue is so important to you?
2: <clears throat> well, um, you know, uh Zach uh passed away in, in my neighborhood actually and uh didn't really know anything about fentanyl um when this occurred and uh had to to be on the Rockland City Council and uh and the community was rolling out Placer County through uh, collaborations and uh, that have been going on, but really uh, spearheaded by our district attorney here. And Laura has really been a leader in, in making this happen. But the One Pill Can Kill program, and um, they rolled it out nearby. And, uh, you know, I was asked to be there. It was actually, and that occurred in my neighborhood as well. And so I went, you know, I learned a lot about it. And, you know, I have four kids, um, you know, ranging from two years old to 10 years old. And I remember, you know, when I was growing up, parents at that time had to worry about their kids, you know, smoking pot or something, right? And mm-hmm. that was kind of the, or maybe drinking alcohol. And that was kind of the extent of what parents had to worry about then. Um, but now they have to worry about, you know, if their kids are experimenting with, um you know, uh, drugs, which is, you know, pretty common thing. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about that, but I mean, it's a pretty regular occurrence. Uh, and you know, the fact that that can lead to taking somebody's life, you know, really, uh, freaked me out. And so, uh, so I, when I got elected, this just became a really big part of my platform and, um, you know, I'm committed to doing something that has an impact. I think, you know, what Laura's doing. And I I think maybe we'll get into this some more, but I mean, she's traveling the country, educating kids about this and parents and people really had a lot of people she meets with have no idea what this is and kids and things like that. And I think just that alone saves countless lives. So if I can elevate something to sort of the state level, get in the press you know, do things like that, whether we have any legislative success or not, I think that's going to save lives.
0: Joe, I'm going to go back to something you mentioned. And I'm not sure if you or Laura would be the best person to weigh in on this. I think you said it was a program called One Pill Can Kill. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: You know, I'll let uh, Laura talk about that, actually. She's been pretty, um, you know, pretty involved in that and the rollout here in uh, our particular county.
1: Sure. Thanks, Joe. Um, yes, when when we were out there, you know, publicly sharing Zach's story, we were able to get uh, some press pretty quickly because a couple of people in our local press corps, uh, anchors, news anchors had students at Zach's high school. So they were aware of this student, you know, um, this very beloved and prominent student, uh, dying and they wanted to be a part of, of the solution as well. So once I think that, this was a lot more in the news, then the county of Placer pulled together this incredible coalition. Uh, as Joe mentioned, the district attorney's offices involved, our other law enforcement agencies, um, our health department, um, school districts, and, and we all started having Zoom, you know, stakeholder Zoom meetings around, you know, how do we roll this out? How What's the best approach? Um, they, they actually also hired a professional, um, you know, PR, a local PR firm here that was was wonderful in listening uh, to to make sure that they got the nature of this crisis right, so the messaging was right, and then um, and then the team uh, this this incredible team in our county asked um, Zach's dad and I if we would be comfortable with them rolling this out at Zach's high school. So that was very touching. Zach was very involved in theater. At his high school. And so they they held the press conference on the steps of, of Zach's theater. So it was, it was really incredible. The turnout was amazing for that. And in that program, it's the, the full name of it is One Pill Can Kill Placer and there's a website associated with it with wonderful links to resources. Um, The the county did a podcast. I think it's up to about five episodes now. Um, The One Pell Can Kill podcast, which is incredibly informative. Um, We did a whole assembly campaign um, in Placer County, and the district attorney's office spearheaded that part of it. And we were in Ninety-nine percent of the high schools in Placer County, and I think about half of the middle schools for this past school year, they have wraps on the buses that say "One Pill Can Kill" billboards. And last summer, they actually in our local movie theaters, they had a short PSA that played during the previews um, that featured Zach and and warning kids about about the dangers of counterfeit pills. So it's been a very comprehensive. Program and it actually just won some um, statewide awards at some recent uh, conferences, and so we're really proud of the work that we've done uh, in in Placer with all of that. And Joe, of course, has been an incredible ally in all of these efforts. You know, especially since becoming elected to the Assembly.
0: Wow, it sounds like you're really focusing on um, what. Um... What good can come out of something that is truly so tragic? So I, I know as a parent myself, I'm grateful when uh, when people are speaking out against things that um, and, and speaking out on behalf of kids when they need a voice. Uh, Joe, let's go back to you. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you've been doing in the legislature here in California. I know that this is not a California-only issue, and so I think I want to remind our listeners of that. Uh, but here in California, since this is your, um, realm of influence, you've had a chance to introduce some bills to try and, and have a positive impact and start changing the tide a little bit when it comes to fentanyl here in California. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing?
2: Yeah, I've always looked at addressing this as a three pronged approach, um, You know, and by the way, there are really two different types of people who are being impacted by um, fentanyl. And I think, you know, the first one are the individuals who are experimenting with drugs um, Mm -hmm. and they really have no idea what they're doing. It's very similar to, you know, thinking you're drinking a can of beer or something and you end up getting a. cyanide, can of cyanide, you know, you really not getting what you intended to, to get. Um, and then there are people who are, you know, uh, have substance use disorder and are addicted to various substances. And some of them are choosing to take very, obviously very small doses of fentanyl. And so both of those take in different approaches on how to address them. But I think together, Uh, You know, some of them we need. uh, We need to educate people about the risks, and I think that's particularly important for the people who are being poisoned, um, you know, unknowingly. So I have legislation on that. um, You know, particularly for people, my legislation would create a class for people who are on probation for selling fentanyl about the risks, if they continue to do it and what, how it can impact people. There are other components of education on it. Uh, I have another piece of legislation that would inform parents of the risks of fentanyl and just opioids in general. Um, so that'll go out to every public school student, uh, 6 million, uh, kids in California schools, public schools, you know, if only 1% of it read it, you know, I think that that's, uh, pretty good numbers. And then okay. treatment, we have a piece of legislation on treatment, um, okay. which would put Narcan in every uh, every school, but there are all sorts of pieces of legislation others are doing on treat- treatment. But the third component, which has had practically no success in the legislature in California, is um, holding people accountable who are bringing this into our communities. Um and I'll just give you one example of how uh, crazy it is, in my opinion, is um, there was legislation that if you had um, uh, enough, enough fentanyl to have 14,000 lethal doses, um, that you could be charged, that you would be charged with a felony. Uh, right now, you could get charged with a misdemeanor based on the weight because it takes such little amount of fentanyl to take somebody's life. And um, so that piece of legislation, 14,000 lethal doses failed to pass the legislature. So they did pass out one single piece. That was a, you would have to have enough fentanyl to kill a half a million people. Um, so, you know, it's just gotten kind of absurd uh, to an extent. But I mean, we need that component. We need that component uh, I think to be successful. I think a lot of people too they try to compare it, uh, and I mean, we can get more into this. But you know, the uh, they like to say, "Hey, the war on drugs and things like that." Look, we're not looking mm-hmm. to go after the street dealers who are passing it amongst each other. Um, we're really looking the people who are trafficking this in our community, who are preying on the kids, um, you know, who are preying on people who aren't intending to use, uh, you know, fentanyl. Um, to hold those people accountable. And in um, Zach's case, um, you know, this individual is using social media and really preying on kids, you know, and that person is in prison, but will be out of prison, you know, relatively, you know, a lot sooner than he should.
0: Well, I think, Joe, you kind of hit on this with your last comments, but I've noticed that this fentanyl crisis seems to be so different from previous battles on the war on drugs. I think just about everybody has heard that term, but in this particular case, it feels different. And I think part of it is because everyone knows about it right now, and but this public light shining on this particular circumstance and this particular drug use, it really makes me wonder if there's some other factors here. Why do you think this seems so different from some of the other uh, circumstances in the past surrounding illicit drugs? Uh,
2: In my opinion, it's because people are, when we use the term poisoning, and there is actually kind of friction within... I think the community of uh, of the victims of fentanyl, you know whether it's considered an overdose or or poisoning, but it, as opposed to people it, on the during the war on drugs if people were using let's say cocaine or meth or crack or whatever their drug of choice was, they were choosing to take that particular drug. In this case that is not what's happening. That is not what's happening and also i think most importantly is that not a single person in the legislature that i know of is looking to go after the street you know the street dealer i guess you could you know that um, might have a s- substance use disorder himself or herself mm-hmm. you know i mean those people do need treatment and we're like i said we're trying to go after the people that are poisoning our kids or that are bringing massive amounts of quantities. I mean, just today in Sacramento, um, there was an announcement of uh, something like a, a million pills or something like that, where the federal government had to get involved. I mean, in many of these cases, the federal government is having to prosecute because we just don't have the laws to, um, to hold people accountable that are trafficking in massive amounts of this stuff.
3: Well, how, how, Hey Joe, how, how does the fact that fentanyl is an actual legal prescribed drug make a difference in how to approach this crisis?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the people getting fentanyl in mixed in the into the drugs and things like that. Um, you know, d- this is synthetically made from um, from components from China and Mexico, and you know, it's coming in and, and things like that. And um,
3: you know, so I, I haven't but, really but ha- gathered. But how, how, how does that, how does that complicate what you're trying to do? Because it is a legal medication. You
2: know, honestly, I hadn't really put too much thought into that because what we're seeing in, in pills is not in any kind of legal form. It's in a completely illegal form that people are getting it. You know, it's a pill that might be stamped Percocet, for example, but it's laced with fentanyl. And so I don't think, right, uh, you know, right. People are like, um, you know, because, for example, meth is made from <laughs> the kitchen sink of potentially legal substances, you know, right. to create an illegal substance. Right. Um, and, you know, so the state has taken actions and the federal government has to narrow that down. You know, you can't buy certain uh, pharmaceuticals, you know, at the drugstore yeah, without. Like you, can't,
3: you can't go get, you know, 500 packets of Sudafed to, you know, crank out some meth
2: exactly and so all that stuff kind of uh you know has been addressed i think in past laws and so really what we're seeing uh, i'm not actually aware that people are breaking down legal uh fentanyl i mean it is it is easy and it is cheap to make and so that's why it's uh it's it's different they don't need to use a legal prescription or anything like that to get this substance it can be produced very cheaply on their own
0: Thanks for joining us for this very interesting discussion on the Fight Back podcast. Please help keep this free podcast available with a $5 gift today on our website at healthcareconsumerrights.org. Well, it also, I, I think hearing what you're saying, Joe, one of the big concerns here is that this is an illegal drug use that is masquerading as another prescription drug. And I think uh, that's maybe what you're hinting at is the danger here is that you have kids who are, you know, well, let's be frank, they're they're reaching out and finding drugs that are not prescribed for them, but then someone has someone is distributing a counterfeit of that prescription drug that they might be trying to find. And and that counterfeit that they've made and produced is laced with fentanyl. And that's really where the problem lies. Y-
2: yeah, exactly. You know, and I get, I, I will tell you, I get some pushback from people that say, hey, I mean, this happens actually pretty much every day. You get pushback from people that say, hey, you know, these kids, they shouldn't be trying illegal drugs, you know? And it's like, oh my gosh. You know, I mean, since the beginning of time, kids have tried to take some kind of illicit substance, whether it's pot and not inhaling it or, you know, a beer and asking somebody over 21 to buy it for you. I mean, that's been happening forever and we can't accept it. But when we have to sort of address the fact that it is going on and so, um, you know, it's like, yeah, the kids, they made a mistake. And that's why we have to educate these kids that this mistake can actually cost your life. And, um, you know, so I just think that, uh, you know, if we're not going to, we have to acknowledge the problems in society. For example, we are in a terrible spot that the fact that we have to pass legislation to put Narcan on school campuses, like we are we are acknowledging as a society that people could potentially be poisoned on school campuses. And so we have to equip campuses and teachers, by the way, have to equip campuses. We should not have to do that. I would like to get to the stage where we're not doing that, which is why I think the accountability piece is so important. Um, because if there aren't really consequences for doing this, I mean, and you know, maybe this is, obviously people don't agree, and this is a, a disagreement we have in the legislature, but You know, if there aren't consequences for it, then what is ever going to make people stop from doing this? You can't educate a person like, um, you know, you can't educate a person after the fact that this is dangerous because they're no longer here. It just takes one pill, right? So you have to educate them beforehand. So if you don't get that opportunity, you got to stop people from bringing it in in the first place.
3: No, and I, I, Joe, I, th- I think, you know, I was just talking to a friend who lives in Sonoma County, whose kids go to a fairly rural um, school, and they had to have a conversation with their children about this crisis and what to do and not to do. And I know Jamie also has, um, you know, similar experiences. Um Yeah, we have
0: a middle schooler, actually, and we've had to have a pretty frank conversation about fentanyl and what you do and how can you stay safe? And what is it that you have to watch out for and how do you need to be careful and how can you protect yourself? And this is, you know, a kid that we're sending to a place that should be safe for them. But instead, we're having conversations about how to make sure you stay away from anyone and anything that could potentially be causing you harm.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've had, I have a 10 and eight year old, right. And I've had these conversations with them. And again, it's super sad that I've had to have this conversation. But another thing too, is that, um, you know, we haven't been very public about this, but I mean, we have said it on occasion. Um, I have a cousin who passed away from fentanyl. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he had, had experimented and and used drugs. Um, I don't know if on the regular, but, um, you know, just because somebody's a drug user of any type doesn't mean that there shouldn't be treatment available for them. I mean, we need to help the people who do have substance use disorders. Um, you know, so they're not doing drugs anymore and they don't become homeless or whatever, you know, I mean, um, you know, we can't just not address that also. So we got to address both sides um, of this equation and, and Hey, look, if you can tell a, it sounds crazy, but I mean, if you can tell a person who uses drugs, like, Hey, um, you know, you could potentially die from this, get something that's laced. I mean, I don't know if they're going to think twice about it. Um, You know, there are a bunch of other solutions that personally I don't agree with and, But I'm still willing to have the conversations. I mean, for example, um, uh, safe injection sites and things like that. Um, In one of the counties that I represent, there is a quote-unquote harm reduction organization out there that has passed out almost enough needles as the entire population. Um, And they actually were on, um, they were in the LA Times recently, upset. That the governor is going to start paying for Narcan uh, in the state budget, going to start distributing it through the state, because of that means that this organization wouldn't get grant funding for that any longer. And so I don't know, is this about treating people or is this conti- about continuing, you know, with whatever you're doing, you know? giving people out there right so
3: i mean isn't it isn't it a little bit about kind of a continuation on and jamie and i were talking about this the other day as we were prep you know preparing for this podcast to talk with you joe um you know the war on drugs has been going on for decades now um previously you know crack you know cocaine ecstasy um meth uh, but fentanyl as you, you know, Joe, you and I have kind of gone back and forth on social media a little bit about this, like this thing just kills people. And, you know, like what's, what is a solution to this?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think uh, we have to employ certainly new methods. I think, I th- I think the most important thing is going to be educating people. I mean, uh, during the war on drugs and and the drugs that people were using at that time, or you know I guess technically it's still going on, but um you know again, these were drugs of choice that people were choosing to have on their own um you know those people and again, I think society has shifted a lot we're not talking about putting people in jail, you know we're not talking about sending people to you know, armed military to Colombia or something to take down. You know, we're talking about uh, stopping this from coming into our own country, um, you know, from external sources, but also um, at the end of the day, you got to educate people that two milligrams, two milligrams, like just a few grains of salt can kill you, you know, and it's just so much different than people who are again voluntarily injecting things. Again, those people deserve treatment and help also. But for the most part, a single use of one of those drugs, you know, hope to god isn't going to kill you, right? But fentanyl for a 17-year-old boy, 2 milligrams is a lethal dose yep. and one pill can can end your life unfortunately. <laughs>
0: I think talking about education, as you've mentioned a couple times now, is a great place to start. And I th- that really leads me to my next question. We've talked a little bit about how we've actually talked with our kids about this. And Laura, you even opened our conversation today talking about how you've talked with your kids about illicit drug use. Where we are now... Uh, I don't think I'm misstepping here and saying that both of you would be urging parents to have a frank conversation with their kids if this is something that if is in a danger in their community. But what are you, what are your suggestions for parents or maybe even grandparents? We've got a lot of um, listeners that might be grandparents. What should they be saying to young people that they're talking to about this issue and about fentanyl use? Uh, what would your recommendations be? of things that they need to make sure that they, uh, that they talk about. Well, if if I could jump in on that, um,
1: I would say, you know, what really, I think my son's story is an example of is that, you know, no kid is immune from this happening to them. And so I, I always encourage parents and I just say, you know, you, you can't, you can no longer assume that if you're having dinner together every night and you're at every soccer game and you're plugged in and you feel like you have an incredibly close you know, relationship with your kid, that you are somehow exempt from discussing fentanyl with them because fentanyl is... It's so different than anything we've ever seen. Kids are being targeted by these deceptive products through social media apps where they spend a lot of their time. They don't have to go to back alleys or meet with sketchy people. They, the exchange, you know, with my son happened at our local mall. You know, where there was lots of people and he was Christmas shopping with a friend and and. But I think the main thing is for parents to educate themselves on on what's going on so that they can be. Um, that they can be knowledgeable to share to have a very a very warm and and loving conversation it's not about bad kids do drugs and good kids don't it's it's it never it never should have been framed that way but especially now like joe said you know kids are dying from typical youthful behavior and um and actually in the past 20 years there's a study out of, that is done annually out of the University of Michigan for youth, drug use is of uh, illicit substances has actually been steadily going down in the past 20 years. But starting in 2019, death fatalities for adolescents has skyrocketed because of this perfect storm of the lethality of fentanyl, the deceptive way these pills are made and marketed to kids, the way that dealers can directly contact our kids through social media. So I think if it's presented more like, Hey, there's, there's some really bad stuff that's going on out there. This is how it's impacting your generation, your, your um, demographic. And how can we all work together to keep each other safe? You know, this is how it's happening. This is how to avoid it. This is how to help warn your friends and kind of make it like, Hey, we're in this together. Because this is something new and different and we need we need to all work together to protect each other.
0: Great insight, Laura. Thank you so much. Uh, If we have a listener who's worried about fentanyl being in their community, maybe maybe this is the first time they're hearing about this. And so this is a new issue for them. What what is it that they can or what is it that they should do if this is something if they're here joining us and they're listening and they're going, this is something I, I have to do something about this. I have to engage here. I have to be a part of uh, protecting kids or I'm protecting our, you know, protecting my community. What is it that we can uh, encourage those people to do at this point in time?
2: Uh, you know i'm I'm gonna let Laura answer that question, given her uh, travels on this particular thing.
1: Well, I would say if you aren't seeing any awareness um, efforts in your local community, contact your local legislators, contact your district attorney's office, contact the school districts and and make sure they that they are hearing these voices. Um, I've been very fortunate in Placer County that. I did not have to bang down any doors. As soon as I shared Zach's stories, uh, Zach's story in my community, the doors flew open. How can we all work together? How can we uh, you know protect our, our community from this? But a lot of other grieving families do not get that same response in their communities. Uh, some communities, you know, maybe want to bury their heads in the sand or not really acknowledge. That this is going on, um, so be that squeaky wheel, you know, to to say we need this, um, we need this education. We need to, you know, find out kind of what your local laws are around accountability um, for for people that are peddling this. Um, and I think we just all need to be talking about it and and find those those allies in your community that have. You know, the power to to make change. Um, I certainly couldn't be doing all the work that I'm doing in Placer County if I didn't have these different agencies in my community saying, how can we help? What role can we play? And let's all be a team on this.
0: Thanks, Laura. That's great insight. As we're wrapping up here, I I think my final question is going to be to you, Joe. Uh, what comes next? What are we looking at uh, next as we're trying to really get a handle on this fentanyl crisis?
2: Well, we're not, uh, you know, we're not giving up. In uh, the legislature, we're going to keep pushing this. I do genuinely believe that this is pretty bipartisan. Um, you know, just the way the legislature works, sometimes particular folks can hold up items. But I think for the most part, both parties are willing to address this and engage in this and take steps that are, uh, you know, maybe slightly uncomfortable for them. Uh, but you know, we're—I don't plan on really letting up on this. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities to keep the conversation going. Um, You know, we're going to address it. And what's been interesting to me, too, is that this is, uh, we're seeing that this is not just a California issue. Um, I think the federal government has become very engaged in this. Uh, You know, I know Laura's been, you know, to, you know, across the country talking about this and with our federal officials as well. So, Um, so I think on both fronts, you're going to start seeing a lot more action on this. I mean, and I just want to say this too, it, one thing that kind of scares me is it's not just fentanyl. There are other synthetic drugs coming that are even more lethal than fentanyl that Narcan does not help with. And so we need a massive change treatment is good. Right. But if the treatment doesn't help the issue, then we have to make sure we're on education and, and that we're doing things to keep this out of, uh, out of, uh, you know, the hands of kids, you know, so, so you're going to see, uh, continued conversations. I think the voters are going to start to get pretty, uh, concerned about it. I think the more conversations we have like this, the more parents get very concerned about it, and I don't think it's gonna—I don't think it's gonna go away.
0: Thanks, Joe. It sounds like we need to keep an eye on what's happening, and uh, it looks like there's some hard work, but definitely some hope there in the future. Laura, Joe, thank you so much for being on with us today. We are so glad you joined us for the Fight Back podcast. We are excited uh, to hear about what happens in the future and really finding some solutions to protect our youth from fentanyl. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you back another time.
2: Great. Thank you.
0: I want to thank you for listening to today's Fight Back podcast. Our mission is to be a resource and provide you healthcare information in a refreshing and interesting format. For more information, go to our website, healthcareconsumerrights.org. While on our website, you can check out additional podcasts or access more information and resources to help you navigate the healthcare system and get the care you deserve. We also welcome your input and stories that we can use on future podcasts. This is Jamie Rosales, and this is Fight Back a podcast by the Healthcare Consumer Rights Foundation. Thank you for listening. I look forward to our next podcast. Talk with you soon. We hope you enjoyed the Fight Back podcast today. This is a free podcast available to provide consumers with quality information to help you fight for the healthcare you deserve. We are brought to you by listener supporters. Please consider making a $5 gift on our website, healthcareconsumerrights.org, to help keep Fight Back available for all listeners.